I think we just let's start with this. Crying. <laughs> <laughs> What's he, is he saying? Episode one thirty-five. <laughs> <laughs> I think he did. I think that was Spanish, though. He's bilingual toddler. Nice, nice. Well, hey, Greg, you're back. <laughs> hey, good to be back, guys. Yeah. Are we live? We rolling? Yeah, why not? Cracking beers. We got Greg. We got uh, the whole 135, you said? Holy shit. Holy shit. Oh, should, I have, should I have waited to crack the beer on Mike? No, you, we're good. We're good, man. Uh, we'll right, crack second, another one, too. Second one we'll crack on Mike. Perfect. <laughs> no, so we're, we're back with, uh, with Greg Bergdorf. This is the fifth time you've joined us in the 135 Damn. episodes oh, of our uh, illustrious podcasting career. So thank you for coming back, man. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a year, though, right? Almost. Ten months, Holy. I think. Yeah. Yep. Wow. We didn't forget about you, man. We just, we know, we didn't want to give you space. We didn't, <laughs> we, we didn't want to think that we were like using you, you know, like <laughs> fanboying nonstop. Because now you're like a fucking homie of the podcast, so it's like a whole different game now, you know. I'll, I can be the unofficial fourth member. Yeah, oh, dude, yeah, exactly. You're yeah, you're yeah. it. <laughs> uh, we've got a we've got another friend who's been on three times. He's close, but you're it. Yeah, you're number one. <laughs> yeah. So you, uh, you've got, you know, head and shoulders, two whole now, uh, episodes ahead of him. So he's got some work to do to catch up to you. All yeah. right. Like Nelly says, what does it take to be number one? <laughs> <laughs> Greg, I was thinking we, we owe a lot to you from, I think you were our second interview and mm -hmm. some of those early interviews are kind of stiff, but yours was like right at it from the get go. We had a blast with that. So like, I'm trying to think back if, if yours was, if you, you were stiff, we, we probably wouldn't still be a podcast, so thank you. <laughs> Glad I could uh, you could cut your teeth on me. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it was the, I think it was our ninth episode, right? Yeah. And you're still in our top ten of uh, overall like listens per episode. I think you're ninth. So. Oh really? Yeah, ninth or tenth. You're right there, man. So the, everybody who's listening to this one, go back and check that one out, so it stays in there. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it in rotation. Yeah. So, Greg, we were texting the other day, and you. We were talking about uh, our three album run episode that we did with you, which we preempted the first time to have you on, and then you came back and did it with us. And you watched a documentary recently that you had a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, idea you wanted to talk about that these two don't know about. Anthony and Nate don't know about this yet. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a new rockumentary. Do you call it a rockumentary if it's not rock in in, in genre? I don't know. That's a good question, actually. Popumentary. It's like a. Countrymentary, yeah, documentary, yeah. twangumentary, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it was a uh, Shania Twain documentary. I had totally forgotten she had three diamond albums in a row. Wow. That's wow. Uh, that's Un insane. Unheard of that. How many records that is? <laughs> yeah, she. I mean, there was a moment there, right? She just absolutely owned the music world. Yeah, everything. It was all Mutt Lang, right? She was married to Mutt Lang, and he just. No, it was all her. Yeah, it was all her. <laughs> Gotta give her credit. Yeah. I think, honestly, it was probably a lot of collaboration. I, I don't know if either one could have done it without. Like, it was definitely like a team with them being marriage, married. And even in the uh, country mentory there, they, uh, she didn't say it was like, I mean, she, she said it was a lot of her, but she definitely like gave him a lot of credit mm -hmm. for you yeah. know, production and and just being supportive and, and you know, being, being a producer. Yep. But uh, now that they're divorced, she, uh, I guess she's got a, some, a new album coming out, which it's impossible to go down. 
anymore. Oh yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> that that's mm-hmm. never happening again. But uh, it definitely seems like she uh, is trying to prime the engine so that she can, you know, stand on her own two feet and be like, yeah, it wasn't all him. <laughs> is she going to pull a Taylor Swift and just talk about her exes? Just talk about Mutt the whole time? <laughs> she might. <laughs> she might. I don't know. <laughs> well, Nate, Nate has a conspiracy theory going back about 70 episodes that Taylor Swift uh, signed all of her CDs in an effort to go a diamond. Yeah, she's trying to go diamond. We all know it's Auto Pen, which is basically a robot that signs the albums for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So go back and listen to the conspiracy episode too. How many, how many did she actually sign for that? None. Yeah, we, none. We, yeah our how guess many, is zero. How many did the bot sign? <laughs> That's did, a good question. Did the bot I, sign a hundred thousand or something? I have one. My wife got me one. I don't even know. It was a lot. I got to look it up, but it was a lot. Yeah. The bot is still signing them, and no one's actually at this point. No one's buying them. They're like, you know what? I, I already have this album. It keeps showing up at my doorstep. Like I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Wow, there's one on eBay for one hundred nine dollars. Really? Wow. <laughs> Glad I have one. It's just gotta sell it now. Yep, yep. <laughs> so yeah, Shania, Shania being as big as she was, and I mean three—that's a three-album run for the record books. Three straight diamonds. Yeah, is that, does anybody have three consecutive diamond albums? <sighs> anybody else? I, I, I doubt it. And obviously, that will never happen again. Two, maybe Michael Jackson. Uh, yeah. Eminem, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Eminem mm-hmm. show and Marshall Mathers. In sync, Backstreet Boys. They probably had two. But three? I don't know, man. Never again. Did Zebrahead, Greg? <laughs> 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 we, we didn't even get a. Uh, uh, gold record in America, let alone diamond. I'm pretty sure Zebrahead got cubic zirconial, which is yeah. equivalent in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, we had three in a row gold in Japan. Uh, no, that's not so bad. No, nice. Not at all. Not at all. We might have some Japan questions for for tonight too. Who knows, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna talk a little, probably MFZB, but I'm sure we'll tangent, right? I mean, that's what we do yep. here, but. Uh, if that record is coming up on a birthday, not quite 20, it's going to be 19 this month, which is... Oh, it doesn't make me feel old at all. Me either, man. I remember <laughs> buying it. <laughs> I remember the day I bought it. Like, I walked into my local record store to buy the, the Thursday record, I think was out around that time, too. Uh, wore all the time. And I, yeah. I was like, that's why I went and then saw, oh, there's a new Zebrahead record today, too. And I was like, I, I'm buying that. Like, that's happening. So, yeah, that's 19 years ago. I was on my way to school, on my way to college. Were, were we in cap? You you were in the new releases. You were right up front. Yeah, oh. I believe it. Mm-hmm. Oh yep. shit! Bull Moose, our our local record store, pretty cool about that stuff. They they get it. So Greg, are you are you a trivia guy? Trivia depends on the trivia, I suppose. Let's uh, go MFZB trivia. So I'm holding up the CD booklet here. I was uh, doing some liner notes digging. Do you remember who you thanked in the MFZB liner notes? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with nobody. So I'm going to quote you. Uh, I don't want to thank anyone. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then it goes on to thank Alex at Fender and Michelle Line 6. And then you say, I'm lazy and I don't want to list a hundred, uh, no, 894 names again. And again, this is quoting you. Blah, blah, blah. Fuck off. <laughs> 
That's amazing. <laughs> Greg's oh, like, did I really do that? <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah, that's that is. I love that you were like, probably no one, <laughs> right on, right on the money. <laughs> I I seem to remember the 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 band in its entirety. We didn't want to do liner notes. Like we were kind of over it yeah. and. <laughs> kind of like it says, it's like we already thanked everybody on the first two records. Who are we gonna thank again? <laughs> we gonna thank the same people over and over again. Thanks, Donnie Einer. Like it's like one of those the thank yous become a list that your managers get and give yeah. to you. Like when you, if you have a big wedding and your parents are like, Oh, you need to invite my friend from work and Uncle Jimmy, who you haven't seen in 30 years, and this other person. It's like it's not even your wedding anymore. It's, right. it's not yeah. your thank you. So you're like <laughs> well, it's clear that Justin had that same idea. He goes blah 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 blah, especially blah 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 blah. How could I forget blah blah blah? Thanks so very much. Blah blah blah, and finally beer. <laughs> oh man, yeah, you you guys were you guys were a fun group. You guys were a fun group. <laughs> it's funny that you give it context too, because you watch like the Grammys or like the Oscars. And you see someone like and accept an award and they really do go through this almost like script of like, oh, my manager and the production company, all these people, they really, you can almost see it in their facial expression. Like they don't really fucking care. In fact, they don't like that. You can tell they don't care so much that they're like really like going through this whole like script. And then they're like, all right, cool. I'm going to walk off stage now. But it's like they have <laughs> to do it, you know? So it's funny that you kind of highlight that. Right. And then if I like at the Grammys, you got to get it inside of a minute or else yeah. they'll just cut you anyway. The wrap it up box. This is my second straight week doing a uh, Chappelle show reference, but the wrap it up box. They start playing the music early and like, wrap it up, <laughs> B, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I seem to recall like the whole band. We were just like, can we just have no liner notes? Just put the cover jacket and we're good. <laughs> you want to put lyrics in there? I guess. All right. <laughs> We're, this is jumping probably ahead, but we're on the booklet. Twan just showed one of them. You had different colors, right? There was yellow, there was blue, there was green. Uh, Anthony just had the, the, the blue one up. What was that about? Why, why'd you guys do that? And why are you laughing so much? <laughs> <laughs> now I really want to know what the answer is. Glad I asked. <laughs> okay, so our, our merch guys at the time, the uh, Conley Brothers, they went to high school with us too. And uh, I wouldn't say they were juggalos, but <laughs> they like they had some ICP records. And this was just after I, I couldn't possibly tell you what ICP record it was, but they had, it was something with the cards. And the they great had, Malen was it the great Malenko? Um, I mean, they had some sort of cards that came in this in the CD as like a bonus. Mm -hmm. And you don't know what card you were going to get if you opened up the CD. So you had to collect like five different versions of their album cover to get all of the cards to unlock some secret bonus shit online. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and all of us were like, explain that to me again? Wait, <laughs> what? So all of these fucking jugglers are going to go buy five copies of the same goddamn record just so they could get one bonus song to get some like special little trinket and they had to put like the the cards together to, to solve the riddle and then they get like one extra song or some bonus content online they're like yes I'm like that is 
fucking genius. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it's some, it's some ca- Captain Planet shit. <laughs> How can we rip that off? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we ended up having four different colors as like a collectible <laughs> sort of thing with no secret. There was like, no prize. Yeah, there's no prize at the end of the rainbow. <laughs> you just you just could collect all four colors. You got a yellow one. Nice. <laughs> I think I thought that were were there less of a certain color or were they all the same amount? There were no. There were way more blues. Okay. Right. And then I don't I don't remember the exact numbers on on the other colors, but they were they were not equal either. I, I want to say the yellow or green was the least printed one. So I had all four colors, right? And I had one in my, my CD rack, you know, with all my other CDs and then the Zebrahead like stuff and all the stuff that I've ever done as, as an artist myself with, and, you know, previous bands and, and like all the EPs and the like splits that we did with other people on the rack. And uh, a friend came over and we were showing him our, uh, our new house. This was with Audrey's mom, my ex-wife and my friend goes oh wow you got you know such and such colors down here and my wife just hands it to, to him goes, yeah, oh, no. serious. i was like what the hell <laughs> i can't get that back right. yeah. it's so worth 300 on ebay anymore yeah some of them some of them are definitely hard to find and people pay big money for them too yeah so yeah i only have three colors now <laughs> oh man <laughs> Give him the blue one. The blue one's easy to find. Right? That's kind of what I was like. I feel like such a fraud now with the, with the uh, blue. Well, you know what sucks is I bought the blue one just because that's the one I reached for. I didn't even realize that was the one that wasn't the limited one. It's like, ah, come on. Well, I think I had the yellow one, and I think I sold it back like an asshole. So. Oh. When I got rid of all my CDs when I moved a few years back, I, I that's one I wish I had hung on to. I don't, I don't know if I ever recall seeing the other colors in stores outside of Japan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just took them from the office <laughs> when I saw them in there one day. I was like, oh, hey, they're all here. I'm going to grab one of everything. Which one are you on the cover? Uh, which one am I on the cover? Uh, let me see the cover. <laughs> you guys are all facing towards uh, Skyline here. My guess is far right. So not the Mohawk, obviously. That's Ben, right? Did you ever wear a studded belt? Because two people have studded belts. Greg, this was 19 years ago, not 40 years ago. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, let me put my glasses on. (laughs) I'm far left. You're far left. Oh, okay. Because you couldn't see a backwards Mets hat, obviously. We would have seen that. (laughs) That would have been doable. So was it intentional they put the parental advisory sticker on over you on the left side um, you, you always see it on the right <laughs> side i don't know me and ed were always i would always go to the left he would always go to the right and that was the same for on stage i was always stage left that makes sense <laughs> to this day i'm still always stage left <laughs> yeah, yeah i can confirm that i've seen you do it with the bourbon brothers live oh back to the parental advisory sticker so i'm listening to it in the car with audrey oh i guess i didn't tell the story I told it before we started recording. But so I haven't listened to this record in a really long time. When I, I wrote that piece for that blog, I, I listened to like a handful of songs that I couldn't really remember. And but I didn't listen to the record. So today I was like, I, you know, I should listen to that record before tonight. So I go to get pick up the kids, 
get in the car. And I put MSCB on and I was going to listen to it front to back and uh, see if I could squeeze in Waste of Mind and uh, Playmate too, in case you guys wanted to go on a tangent. <laughs> yep. And uh, so I'm about halfway through MFCB. I was actually on Expectations and Audrey gets in the car and like the guitar solo starts up and she, she, whenever she gets in the car, she takes my phone and she wants to watch YouTube videos or TikTok videos and they're on YouTube. And I won't let her have TikTok. Um, like now, and I'll let her watch videos if it's in front of me so that I can see what she's watching. So that's not, I'm not, I don't want to get out of control where I'm like, what are you watching? How did you get there? No, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Man, that's a bad place. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's the Playmate of the Year video <laughs> music. <laughs> right? What are you learning about your father right now? <laughs> turn this off. <laughs> but yeah, the first thing I said, we should turn it off. I'm like, oh, ever turn off the music when your father is playing guitar solo? Come on, come on. <laughs> yeah. And it's a good guitar solo, too. <laughs> but she's like, why are you listening to Zebrahead? And I'm like, yeah, I can, I'm going to be on a podcast today sweetheart so i'm doing some prep work in case i forgot what's happening in this album <laughs> she's like oh can i be on it i'm like i, I guess <laughs> sure <laughs> but uh so yeah listening to it with her in the car i totally forgot how much swearing there actually is in these songs right. i was like whoa whoa another f-bomb shit fuck f-bomb f-bomb i'm like oh my god I'm like earmuffs sweetheart earmuffs <laughs> it's like every song had at least one even the, like the popular ones. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. God damn it. <laughs> so Greg, let me ask you, does the label have any input in that? They're like, guys, tone it down. Like, this has got to go out. Or do they, are they hands off? The, the first two records, they were kind of like, can we tone it down or skip a, like on the, especially if they thought it had a chance of being a single, they were like, no, mm-hmm. let's, let's change it here. On MFCB, they were like, you just guys do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, finally. Yeah, right. Let us go. <laughs> well, I mean, we love those first two records too, but this one felt, for me, listening to those three records like in a row, and it's a three album run. We've talked about that before. This one is feels like you guys at that time. I know it's not not the greatest time for the band, but the music that came out of that time was awesome. Like I, I just this is my favorite Zebrahead record. I still listen to it pretty regularly. Like it's just awesome. Yeah, it's uh. The records I was a part of, I, I would say this is my favorite record too, and and like you said, it, it was uh, it was difficult to uh, to to get done. You know, it wasn't the uh, best uh, camaraderie of of work environment, but I, I don't know if it is the same record if it if it were all rainbows and sunshine. All right, so album releases we're talking first album, which is really an EP, right? Yellow. Yeah. Into actually, the, Mind. the yellow was actually our uh, demos for oh, okay. uh, Waste of Mind, and uh, Howard Benson, the uh, producer, had just purchased. How was the name of that label it was on? He just purchased that label with the uh, manager from Hanson. Oh wow! Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, that guy—I forget that guy's name—but he would come by the studio every now and again and and just tell Hanson stories and be funny. But one day he shows up in a Porsche and the license plate said 
M M M B O P. Mbop bought a Porsche. <laughs> F the world. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the yellow was. Uh, it was really just our, our demos that we did with Howard um, that we shopped to to try and get a, a, a deal. We used three of those songs. We used uh, Check, uh, Walk Away, and I think Swing was the third song that we used it for shop, shopping to, to labels to, to try and get showcases. Which, do, do we need these things happen anymore in the music industry? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I interrupted <laughs> so, No, no, it's good context. So yeah, the Yellow record, which I bought at yeah. the Avalon show and supporting MFZB when you guys were touring with Real Big Fish. Oh, wow. Back in 04, yeah. So you guys still had some at the merch table, which is pretty cool. I think I have it somewhere in storage. Into Waste of Mind, into Playmate of the Year, into MFZB. And then, so MFZB, we're always like, what the hell? <laughs> All these album titles kind of have meaning that we can kind of obviously figure Actually, out. You, but... have to, you have to leave the room. Why? Because I have to tell inappropriate stories. <laughs> Possibly. That title... Compared to the other titles, it just seems random. So what, the, like, where does that come from? What does it mean? I know it's not safe for work, but what does it mean? <laughs> we just want you to say it out loud. <laughs> so we did on Playmate. We did a run on Warp Tour for like three weeks, and uh, Ice T was. I was going to say Ice Cube, but it was Ice T and Body Count were out. That's right. Yes. I don't actually. I don't even know if Body Count it was just Ice T, but they, he was doing Body Count songs too, along with like Ice T songs. And uh, every day from stage, he would be like, "We're changing our motherfucking name. We're now motherfucking Ice T, bitch." <laughs> and so they had a shirt too that said "motherfucking Ice T, bitch." <laughs> just thought it was fucking hilarious. <laughs> and he like. When one of his like assistants, PAs or whatever crew guys comes and knocks on our bus door one day and he's like, yo, we're having a tea party tonight. Everybody's invited. You guys, we all come. It's all cool. See you there. <laughs> we're like, all right, I can't wait to go to fucking Ice Tea's bus and fucking party with Ice Tea. This is going to be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so we, we roll up on his bus later tonight. It's like, <laughs> it's just, I don't know how you fit that many people from Warp Tour onto one bus, but it was, you know, super crowded, right? And we get in there, there's this cloud of, of smoke and loud music, and their lighting system was <laughs> one of their crew guys sitting on top of the couch with a flashlight, just no turning way. it off and on, <laughs> off and on, off and on, off and on. <laughs> time we were in there like 45 minutes this is tick, 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 hey greg that's when you know you made it you can pay someone to do that <laughs> that's so good but uh yeah so it was uh every day i'd say we're motherfucking nice tea bitch and <laughs> justin said the day after this tour we're not on this tour i'm just saying that every fucking day we are no longer zebrahead we have changed our name to motherfucking Zebrahead bitch. <laughs> so it just, it stuck with the MFCV thing. That's amazing. And, uh, it, it rolled into the album. <laughs> Was there ever a thought to keep it like long form spelled out like motherfucking Zebrahead bitch? I think we did have a t-shirt where it was on the back with yeah, a... Nice. Like there was a star or something over you, but <laughs> you, you get the point when... <laughs> So yeah, credit Ice T. 
D- does Ice T know this? Because that, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I, d- I don't know if Ice T even knew who we were. <laughs> he's about to get added, so he's going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got another funny Ice T story. So those body count records, Howard Benson did those body count records, mm-hmm. or at least the, the big one. And the, our engineer for those first two records uh, that we did with Howard was also the engineer on in that record. But so Bobby Brooks, the engineer, and when Ice-T would come into the studio, he wouldn't, he wouldn't look at Howard. He wouldn't talk to Howard. <laughs> Howard said he would like try and make, make eye contact with Ice-T. He's like right there sitting in the studio with him, talking to him about how you know, he needs to do X, Y, or Z for the next part of this song or maybe change the lyric here or do this other thing. And Ice-T would, would be like, <laughs> he would he would talk to Bobby or he would talk to one of his crew guys one of his posse and he'd be like yo tell this motherfucker I ain't gonna do that I'm gonna do it this way nice and and you know he would go through this long explanation of whatever he was trying to say or he would have the conversation but he wouldn't talk directly to Howard wow. he would talk to somebody else to talk to Howard <laughs> wow. uh, it's like no I, I heard what he said guys I am sitting right I'm here I'm right here <laughs> Thank you, Mr. T. Yeah, we can do that. That works. <laughs> Damn. That's tough. That's going to be a tough working environment. So, Greg, Benson worked on your previous material, but he wasn't involved in MFCB. Was that, was there like, was there beef? Was it turmoil? Like, or was he too expensive? Like, what? It, it was, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say there was necessarily beef. I mean, to be honest, on the first two records, I would say the person that held the most power in the room was Howard. Yeah. A lot of the arrangement ideas on both of those records were his. And like, he would walk us through it. He's like, let's take a Beatles song. Well, how did they arrange, you know, whatever song you pick it? And he's like, let's cop the arrangement. <laughs> and it would, you know, wouldn't be like one of the singles. It would be some, you know, wouldn't be straightforward verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, double chorus out. You know, he would like steal one of the, oddball arrangements he's like yeah this song's not gonna be a single let's have fun with it <laughs> let's do something different all right let's do verse chorus weird section back to verse and then maybe a chorus but no singing here and then you know it would just be like it would just be different and, and new I, I i really enjoyed I, I really enjoyed working with howard at the same time i really hated the it was always his word that was final and not anyone in the band or the five of us, unless the five of us were all on the same page. Cause the five of us, it was, it's really hard to get five people on the same page for anything. Totally. And if you're, you're Howard, you're producing a record, you, you're trying to get it done so you can move on to your next project. You're trying to get the label off your back. You're like, you know, they want to know what the timeline is. You're dealing with a bunch of drunk 20 year olds who are like fucking around all day. <laughs> yeah. He's, at the end of the day, we weren't going to do it because we didn't know how to do it. Howard would just be like, fuck you guys. You guys can't decide. I'll decide for you. We're going to yeah. do it this way. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> we need that person. Can we get, can we have that person for the podcast? <laughs> Greg, next time we have a dispute, I'm just going to text you and you're going to say, fuck like, you guys. You're doing it this way. Do it this way. <laughs> All of you are wrong. We're doing yeah. it like this. Yeah. 
and you'll reference some like old obscure b-side podcast from 15 years ago be like, well they did it this way yeah <laughs> so yeah i mean i wouldn't say there was like beef like we hated howard because we ended up doing songs with him later like right we all speak well of howard it was all good but at the same time i, I think we had to be, we needed to, to grow our own wings and move on and then like you said Howard started having a lot of fucking really big records and his price, even for the bro rate, because he always told us, or at least made us feel like he's like, you guys were kind of my comeback. Cause like he did records in the eighties. Like he did like a bang tango record and some, uh, some smaller like West coast hair metal bands that, that did all right. Um, locally. You know, it wasn't like super huge. God, what was my name that South Gang? I think Bang Tango was probably his biggest record that he did from that late 80s, early 90s era. Um, and then he became a uh, A&R guy. And then he was working his way back into producing. And we were one of the first bands that he got to do. And he got a lot of work out of us, uh, after us, because of us, um, because of the work he did on Waste of Mind. And... uh Oh, gosh, what did he have? He had uh, that POD record. Both of those were like double platinum. He had an All-American Rejects record. Uh, he had uh, uh, that My Chemical Romance record. Uh, the first one was his. He had like a couple of Daughtry records. He had a shit ton of just super big fucking rock records. And uh, he always was very thankful for us to like yeah. give him a, a try and uh, giving him a, a reboot on it. So, you know, we did a couple of songs with him later on. It was nice to see him again at a new studio and, and uh, all big wig, big time. We're like, you're still big time, but you're still wearing fucking cut off sweats with your balls hanging out. Can you wear <laughs> some underwear? Howard? <laughs> I know you got money now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Even though like, yeah, because before his wife was, his wife still is um, in publishing and at the time. He was like, I don't make the money in the family. My wife makes all the money because they still had a nice house in Calabasas. Like, it wasn't like they were poor or anything. <laughs> but yeah, we, we did a lot of the tracks to it on um, both those first two records to cut costs. Um, like, he had a small little studio in, in his house that you know you could like do guitar overdubs or something. We would go to his house all the time and, and do tracks and just grill out and his kids would be running around. We'd hang out with his kids. And, but yeah, we, we left Howard. I, I don't have anything bad to say about him <laughs> other than I wish we had a little more control. But at the same time, yeah. I understand why we didn't have more control. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, I mean, you being being fairly new, obviously new, new when you first started with him and then starting to, you know, figure out what you could do and getting five people to do the same thing and stuff, getting three people to do the same thing and stuff. I totally understand that. So having yeah. that overlord voice saying, nope, we're doing it this way. Just deal with it, guys. Yeah. Especially guys saying fuck off in the uh, liner notes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> trying to corral five of those guys. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a little combination, all those things. I, you know, I was trying to remember the, the producer who started the record. He did like a couple of songs on the big kid rock record. I cannot remember his name for the life of me. Cameron Webb? No, there was a guy before that who we ended up firing. Oh, wow. Ooh. I I cannot remember his name for the last me. Rick Rubin. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> he would have just been like, nah, that sounds good, man. 
<laughs> and, and walked around barefoot and yeah yeah right the search tanky and there's a parody video on youtube that tells that story pretty vividly <laughs> was it john travis oh that sounds right he did double that across yeah 98 I, yeah. I think that is yeah it's been a while since i've shit on rick rubin on the podcast so it was it was time <laughs> <laughs> so the uh quick, quick side note on rick rubin the uh system guys were uh you know on deaf american and deaf american was an umbrella under sony too and rubin's office was down the hall from our a guy's office who was the head of a was the guy that actually signed us he was also the head of columbia west coast so he was like the number three guy in all of uh, columbia but rick rubin's office was like a couple doors down so like we'd walk by his office all the time like peek in just in there i want to meet that dude come on yeah uh never in there but the system guys were recording that first record at the same time we were recording ours and uh, we'd see him in there all the time and you know shoot the shit with this other you know newly signed band that didn't have a record out yet and uh they they were super nice we're like wow what's like working with rick rubin it's like well it's cool, but he doesn't really come out all that much. Like we, <laughs> we work with the engineer every day and uh, Rick calls in in the morning and asks what is going on with the uh, record and how's it going. And the engineer will hit play <laughs> on, <laughs> on the big, you know, giant SSL board or whatever and hold up his phone. <laughs> and play it for him he's like oh this is what we did today <laughs> it's like phil jackson he doesn't actually do anything <laughs> and, 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 and they'd say yeah we would be like yeah sounds great keep doing it that's amazing <laughs> and, yeah. and they just go back to doing whatever they're doing i mean hey don't get in the way of genius right you know people are good at what they do <laughs> keep putting my name on that as a producer credit and i'll keep not wearing those expensive shoes that i can afford (laughs) all right i'm done i'm done he only shows up for uh red hot chili peppers i guess (laughs) (laughs) we'd love to talk to rick i'd love to ask him that question right there just hey man you were how about that sewed record were you (laughs) were you just listening over some dude's flip phone in 98 or what (laughs) i know it's very office space what do you actually do here (laughs) i'm a people person i have people skills yeah (laughs) i got a meeting with the bobs i'll be back see you guys (laughs) all right greg so i got a question um because let's say like playmate of the year dropped in 2000 right MFZB dropped in 03. For us in the States, there wasn't a whole lot of touring. Obviously, there was support on Playmate of the Year, but I can't remember any Zebrahead tours in 2002. And 2003, the album dropped. So were you guys touring internationally throughout that process, writing the record for MFZB, or were you guys on like a somewhat hiatus and kind of came back together to, to write the record? No, we did. A, we definitely toured the States. On that, on that record, I'm trying to think how many times though. Definitely, I know we were out for like eight weeks in the states with Real Big Fish as the headliner, Goldfinger, and then we were third. And you know, we did two. We did two uh, Real Big Fish tours on MSCB on that record. 
one tour it was those same three is the back three and then the opener fourth band was the matches before they were signed to epitaph and they were like selling uh yvonne doll like just out of their van and uh I think that was the second one. The first one was, I think, uh, I don't remember who was first or second. I, I want to say RX Bandits was first. And uh, I can picture the guys in the band. They did that punk rock cover of, uh, come on, Barbie, let's go party. Shit. The original song was Aqua. When you say it, I'll know it. Eh? Yeah. Damn. Rock. Google knows everything, right? Homegrown. Oh, oh yeah, yeah oh, King, wow. Kings of Pop. That was a great album. Yeah, it was uh, RX Bandits, Homegrown, Us, Goldfinger, Real Big Fish. And then the second time on that was Matches, Us, Goldfinger, Real Big Fish. And then we did that same lineup in Europe and England, too. Okay, so coming off of Playmate of the Year into MFCB, you guys toured... The whole time. There was no break to write. It was just straight tour, tour, tour. No, we, I mean, we didn't do very well at, at writing on tour. Mm -hmm. I, I think we were too busy doing other stupid stuff that it, we didn't, just, we just didn't write on tour. But when we came home, like we didn't take time off. Like we would maybe take one week off after, you know, doing six weeks on the road and Every night, sorry, not every night, but every week, it'd be Monday through Thursday. We'd practice from five, six-ish at night till like 11, 12, midnight every night, Monday through Thursday. And it was regular. Like, we just considered it our job. Like, we got to write another record. Otherwise, this all ends if we don't have another record. <laughs> right. Is there any pressure, Greg? Like, because you guys... When were you your, at your like commercial peak? Was it after Playmate? Like, because I feel like they're coming off of that. Then you got to write this record. Was there any pressure to to deliver? Or you guys just like fuck off? We're writing whatever. Honestly, all the pressure was uh, wasting mind to Playmate. Playmate to MFCB. They were like, you got your shot. You missed it. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> right on. Yeah. And it wasn't like we were done. Done. Like. They picked up the option because we had two firm and then options up to like seven records after that. But wow, it was their option. And then they could push us to do whatever too. So like they dropped us down to red ink under the uh, flag of, well, you'll get more attention there because there's a lot of things happening at, at Columbia right now. We just can't, we can't focus on your record and promoting. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. that's not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> These are all bad things. <laughs> but uh yeah, honestly, I feel like the, the the pressure from the label was off. It was really more of a, a pressure within the band to like continue on, persevere, get yeah. get another one done. Like, is yeah. this gonna be it? Are we like where are we at now? You know, can we have a I don't know, a comeback record? We were as people put it from the label, they're like, yeah, Waste of Mind was great. It, you know, we don't expect debut albums to go double platinum, but you guys had a lot of exposure, did some good tours, you got a lot of good radio airplay. 
it's Ron sold. Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. That that didn't last the test of time, I guess. That <laughs> yeah, no. Ron Jeremy on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it it was uh plainly was considered by Columbia to be a uh a dud, like a hmm. failure. So it, even with it, and, you know, and maybe it's just from a, a US perspective. And then so you, you sign to Columbia, right? And that gives Columbia worldwide first right of refusal in every territory. So each ter- territory is independent of itself from other territories. So Germany, Holland, Japan, like they can all choose or decline to pick up the record, but they're going to do that based on how it's doing in America. So if it's not doing well in America and they didn't release the first record, they were unlikely to pick up the second record. We got a little bit of airplay and we're lucky enough to go over to Japan for a, like a three show tour and press on that first record. And uh, they were willing to, to, to give us a shot for that second record. And, you know, we were able to catch lightning in a bottle with the, uh, the, the big marketing you know, Columbia. Well, I guess it's technically Sony Japan, not Columbia Japan. Well, and then they're still. I mean, you're not in the band anymore, and they're still big over there. So it, it worked. Yeah, it definitely the de- the machine definitely worked over there, and uh, because of the success in Japan, not so much the success in America. Other territories in like Europe would like Germany picked it up, Holland picked it up. We got a tour over there. You know, they would uh, put out an MFZB as well. Actually, I take that back. We ended up going on. They let us uh, have the record back internationally, and we licensed it to Golf Records, who put it out in England and maybe it was just Germany, but a, a couple of the uh, European nations. Hmm. It's a really interesting breakdown on on how it was then, because at the end of the day, like, so I'm in CPG personally for my like line of work, and like. You know, I might be promoting an amazing product. MFCB might be an amazing record, but at the end of the day, like it's all about aligning the audience with the end product and the end consumer. So, like both domestically and internationally, like that's that's just such a hard task. It's all about timing, right? So, I mean, how do you how do you go about that? You're really depending on your label to to do the legwork for you because you're you're the you know you're the talent. You're just going out there playing the shows and writing the record, but you're really depending on the label, but the label is putting the pressure on you to move units. So is the label also putting the pressure on you personally as a band and band member to also move those units as well or what? Not so much to move the units, but when we're recording the record, they're definitely like, at least, you know, and I'm sure every label is different and every, every artist's experience with their label is, you know, unique to its own. Our label at the time wanted pop hit. Sugar Ray Fly, baby. Should yeah, give, give they, they, they literally said that. Right. <laughs> you know, at, at one point on, on one of those records, the uh, our A&R guy, guy came in and, and said, "You know, where's my feel good hit of the summer? Where's my where's my Sugar Ray Fly? I want, I need that song. Where's where's one of these? I need one of those." And uh, I, I don't know if if the band just caved or I felt like Playmate. We tried to make like fifteen of those rather than just be ourselves. Well, and when they told you, just do your thing, you guys had your chance and you didn't, you didn't do it. 
I think you guys made the songs that, I mean, we love them. That that whole record has, MFZB has so many, like, high points, like the opening riff and blur. The the way that you pair music with whoever's going to be singing, whether it be Ollie or Justin. It's just, it's so good, man. Yeah, it was a, it was nice to have, like, the, the label pressure off. It was really just pressure for ourselves. We, we definitely were trying to have at, at least one of those sort of poppier songs for Japan because that's what they wanted. And, you know, that it playmated really, really well over there. So we ended up with uh, NDU as, as the single in Japan, which wasn't the single in America. And uh, it, it did well over there again enough to uh, kind of fund us to, you know, try and break Europe in a, you know, in a, in a cult following sort of, you, you can go out and, you know, play 40 cities in Europe and have 500,000 people show up. Yep. Which is good. Mm, yeah. Take that. Uh, hell yeah, man. I mean, that's how you stay in the, in the world, right? That's how you, yeah. the band, the band stuck around. It's like the band ended after MFCB. No. Although that was another trying time of like, <laughs> your lead singer left. Everybody assumes lead singer writes all the songs. So right. everybody just thought, oh, well, what's Darlin' Thieves going to do? <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the record must have been hard to make because you guys are kind of in a tough spot as a band, as a group, with obviously Justin left after this. But what was it like for you? Was that like, was it a really difficult thing to get through because of kind of the behind the scenes stuff? MFCB or broadcast? MFCB. MFCB. Honestly, I, I, I would say I was probably the best, like the best of friends with Justin out of the rest of the guys in the band. Like he was closest and he and I were closest. And then it, it didn't, not to like draw out what the factions were. Right. <laughs> but me and Ed could go between the factions <laughs> and then you could see who's left on the table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Justin was going to quit after Playmate. And uh, I was going through divorce and, and he was about to get married, but they had like, they had like eight months before their wedding and they had gotten a uh, condo down at Huntington Beach Pier, like right on top of the pier. And they had an extra room and him and his fiance were like, yeah, you can come live with us. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> that was a... Uh, like we would drive back from our practice place was in Yorba Linda's. So we'd come up to 55 from Huntington beach and you know, you're coming home at midnight to get to the, the bars before closing yeah. <laughs> at the pier um, after practice and unwind before, you know, you go whatever. And um, he want, he was going to quit then. And, and I felt like I talked to him into staying and I felt like there was a, a lot of, behind the scenes to like just trying to get everybody's personality on board to get the record done. Like I just, I felt there was still gas in the tank. I didn't want to let it go yet. I wasn't, I wasn't ready. Although Justin kind of talked me out of quitting in the middle of playmate because I was so unhappy about how playmate was finished. So, you know, it was kind of one, one back. Hey, you don't want to do that. I'm like, all right, maybe I don't. <laughs> Honestly, it kind of makes me appreciate these albums like even more, knowing that one they almost didn't happen, but what it go, what what it takes to you know to pull them off, you know it's it's uh, 
personalities like there's only three of us and sometimes we struggle to put out an episode a week you know mm-hmm. <laughs> You, you add in two others and it's like, damn, how, how are decisions even made? Touring and people actually giving a shit, all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. Labels, trying to satisfy labels, satisfy fans, satisfy yourself, you mm-hmm. know? Touring was easier than writing the record because it, it, it's such a release. You know, it, it would be the 45 minutes out of the day where all five of us, regardless about the rest of the day, we're all on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it, it was rare that there was a fight on stage or like some shit that would wreck the show. I mean, there was some st- stupid stuff. Like <laughs> somebody gave me mushrooms at, uh, at the end of a show in Detroit. I think it might've been at the shelter downstairs where they, they did eight mile underneath St. Andrews. Yep. And, uh, somebody's like, Hey, I took some of these and I don't, I don't want the rest of them. I want to give them to you guys for the rest of the, for, you know, you guys can have them. And it was like a little plastic Dixie cup, you know, that you, you rinse your mouth with, with the dentist's office. And there's like these little tiny little mushrooms in there. I'm like, that's not fucking doing anything. But I took it back to the, back to the bus anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yo, Allie, they got some mushrooms at work today. <laughs> you, 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 want, you want to do them tomorrow? He's like, oh, all right, right. So the next day was House of Blues, Chicago. And we split them in half and we both put them on top of our, uh, I put them on top of my hand and one on top of the drum riser where he put like his bullhorn or whatever stuff he had on stage. And uh, we had set it up for like at some point during the set, we were going to take them so that by the time we were done with the set and then like took a shower afterwards, it'd be kicking in mm-hmm. and you tried to time that right <laughs> and so we <laughs> we took them and there's like three songs left in the in the set and we had done we were doing fly days and justin had the lighting guy was like yeah let's turn that disco ball on up here and the, <laughs> the, the, the lights dim the disco ball comes on and, and the, the the lights off the disco ball start shooting around the whole you know four stories of house blues chicago and boom, I was like, oh, oh no. I got like 15 minutes left of this. I'm not going to make it. And I, I look over at Allie, and Allie's like, <laughs> he's sweating. And I'm like, I'm trying to play the song. And I, halfway through the song, I just go sit on the drum riser and I'm just trying my best to like not stop. And Ed's like shouting at me while he's still playing. He's like, are you on drugs? Are you on drugs? <laughs> like, I'm like looking back at him. I'm like, you're not making it better, man. You're not. <laughs> you realize if that happened this year, there'd be like some Loudwire yeah. article on it. YouTube would be like. <laughs> That's amazing. I've been to that room too. That House of Blues Chicago is like very claustrophobic as well. So uh, that's <laughs> I a can really imagine. cool venue, though. Yeah, it's a cool venue, but it's very like tight. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like straight up and not yeah. deep. <laughs> so, Greg, we we now know like the extracurricular stuff that influenced you guys. What were you guys listening to like musically to influence you guys? Because as Tony pointed out uh, when we were in a group chat earlier. The opening to Blur sounds like a Smith song, and House is uh, Not My Home 
I hear like Beach Boys harmonies in there. Like, what were you guys into at that point? Oh man, I would say everybody throughout the course of the band, I'll, I'll listen to different stuff. I, I think that's one of the reasons that those records, definitely those those first three, I think, were kind of eclectic. Like, there's not like a I think MFCB, I get, I, I would say, is probably the closest to sounding more cohesive and uniform. Like Waste of Mind is kind of all over the place. When I was listening to it today, I was like, man, this is like, it's not like out of place weird at times, but does it, it, is it the walkaway breakdown where it goes to a, a reggae riff? And I was like, oh, what a cool breakdown. I forgot about this part. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like MFCB, I felt like was a little more cohesive. There was stuff that was starting to become more popular where, you know, like I, I could, at the time, I, I would get a lot of new music just from meeting kids at shows and talking to them afterwards. And like, I kept seeing kids wearing these shirts that AFI all the time. I'm like, what the fuck is this AFI? And, uh, you know, they had to check that out. I was like, oh, this is actually really good. <laughs> Especially some of that early stuff from them was like a little more screamy. Before it became more melodic, and then now it's like I don't know. They're like an EDM band now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've yeah, gone through they, a couple they, of different sounds. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They were like a kind of Bay Area punk uh, punk band, and then they shifted a little more production behind them over the years. Yeah, that Refused record came out right at that time too, which was kind of you know super heavy. Yeah, we always listened to a lot of rap on on the. You know, and his earphones. I think when I went to bed, my headphone records that I would go to sleep to a lot were at Sounds. Yep. Yeah. You you mentioned that in our uh, we had you for the hundredth episode. Pet Pet Sounds was your the, the comfort food album, right? Comfort yeah. food. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, it comes through on House Is Not My Home. Like the harmonies in that. I don't know if that was conscious or it just kind of naturally happened. But you know, that was a record. So, like, some of the songs on the record when I was listening to it today, and I, I wasn't necessarily sure if I remembered everything and how the song went, but I could remember some of the fights vividly <laughs> and fighting about songs. I was like, oh, fuck. House Not My Home came on. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and th- th- there was a lot of fights about that song. And, like, hearing it today, I was like, this is a really good song. Why did I, why did I fight over this so much? <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought it was nice. It was refreshing to hear that song again today. And the other one that, all the, all the bad memories are rushing back right now, <laughs> uh, was uh, Let It Ride. And like the whole time listening to it today, I was like, yeah, this is a whole bunch of parts that got jammed together because we couldn't fucking decide on what the direction <laughs> of the song was. <laughs> How often does that happen? The the remembering of the fights or like no the, the, the jamming jamming parts them. together yeah yeah you know sometimes you jam parts together and it, and it works and yeah. sometimes it's very obvious that you like maybe this was two or three separate songs and they just stuck them together and called it a day <laughs> yeah I don't know I guess it depends on the record and and the time and whose vision it was and, and if somebody is if someone can get everybody on board with that vision mm-hmm. even like hello tomorrow i brought that in i didn't write lyrics for very many of our songs but that was one i had written lyrics for and 
I played it for the guys and everybody wanted to take the shuffle out of the song. I was like, no, <laughs> that's not how I wrote it. <laughs> Stop. And then, so, you know, we would try things just to be like, well, let's see what it sounds like if we do it like this. And we played it straight and we played it double time and we played it ballad and we played it, you know, in six different ways. And I was like, yeah, see, told you first way. <laughs> and then for everybody it was finally like, all right. You're like, guys, I did this already in my head. I know the answer. <laughs> Please believe me. <laughs> but yeah, there was, you know, you get two singers too. And it can be like, who's, who's going to be the guy? You know, it's a, uh, how, how the fucking Beatles get all this fucking personalities in the fucking band? Right. Yeah. <laughs> we have yeah. four stars. Yep. So Greg, yeah. do, do you, I think Tony kind of alluded to this earlier. Do you think about who's going to sing over certain parts when you guys are writing? At that time in the band, it was almost set in stone that Allie would do verses and Justin would do choruses. Mm-hmm. Almost. I mean, I've got to go back and listen to those first two records to see if that doesn't happen on some things. There's some songs that, Maybe Justin sings the first half of the verse or the second half of the verse or like a pre-chorus, but then Allie's usually in, in the, is usually the verse. And then I think of one where he was just trying to find a place for him. Uh, Wasted was difficult to try and find a, a spot for Allie. And we, we had the uh, bridge break down to try and make space for him because he doesn't play an instrument. So it's like, it, if he doesn't, rap somewhere in the song it's like what's he gonna do if we play this live go fucking sit on the side of the stage or something like get a turntable <laughs> mushrooms he's gonna he's gonna do mushrooms <laughs> right yeah <laughs> it's actually an interesting point too because like you know we're all big 311 fans here like when sa is not doing his thing yeah, we don't. Where does he go? He's like backstage. He's side huh. stage. You know, it's it's different. I, th- and I think that's me... why he does turntables. <laughs> yeah, exactly on sound system, especially. <laughs> Nate, that's why I said it. I thought of them. Yeah, yeah. turntables. Yeah, but it's the only time in like this just brought me to a next question. Like, it's the only time in like music history, at least for us personally, we're like call it when you guys got the first record out in '98 to like 2003 with MFCB. It's the only time that I can like really put point my finger on a time where the music style really changed so like rap rock was huge call it new metal and then for whatever reason it kind of faded in 03 so i I remember reading something in a music magazine where lincoln park also dual vocalist chester bennington and mike shinoda and warner brothers the label was like you know what mike we might have to just cut your freestyles because like the whole rap rock thing it's not really working anymore was there ever a time with MFCB where Sony was like, you know, Allie, like, that's just not really where music is right now. We're going to maybe pull the whole rap rock, rock thing. Was that something that ever, that ever came up uh, in recording of this record? or Not from Sony, but there's only uh, so much center stage that, that for the spotlight. Yeah. And when yeah. you have two singers, that uh, tug of war can be an issue, I suppose. So it, it wasn't from Sony. It was a issue of the two singers trying to find enough space for themselves. Mm. Internal. Yeah. Which was like, I got it and at the same time I didn't get it. But 
it there was times when you know that that last uh outcast record came out right around that time we were recording that record and they didn't do a fucking single song together on that record because they right. fucking hated each other Right. So they had two separate records. That's right. They just called under the outcast umbrella because Big Boy or uh, Andre 2000 by itself in a name isn't as big as the outcast name. Right. Mm-hmm. So they decided to just have a double record where they each did their own record, right? So I wasn't pushing for them to each have their own record, but I was pushing within the band to be like, why does every half song have to have the same fucking format with the same formula and the same... Ali's gonna rap here, Justin's gonna sing here, and then I'm gonna do a guitar riff. And you're like, you're like, this is fucking boring. I already know what's gonna happen before the fucking song's over. So, like, I, I would try and push for, I'm like, why can't we have just an all Ali song? Why can't we have just an all Justin song? Why yeah. can't, why we, we can mix it up here? Like, just let the song take you where it wants to go. Why does it have to be, why are we forcing our, formula in the way you want it to be rather than just letting the song be the best version of the song yeah and i really only won that twice on that record with type a i guess and mm. dear you they, they each got one where there wasn't the other person uh having vocals on it well and, and both those songs are awesome in their own right and it they probably make sense as a single justin song or a single alley song do you think, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but do you think had you won out a little more often and you had been able to do like, this is a Justin song, this is an Alley song, things would have been a little better than they ended up? I don't know. I thought the record turned out really well. I thought if we could have, I thought the record before was too poppy. And I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's us conceding to, to pressures from the label. but. I just wanted the, I didn't know if MSCB was going to be our last record. So if it was going to be our swan song, I just wanted us to, I just, I wanted to go out and, and do it my way, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's a good way to do it. Cause kind of bringing back to Nate's point at the macro level, you have rap rock, new metal fading out. And then what's carrying the torch. And I'm, when I say that, I'm thinking at like the TRL level, you have the newfound glories, the good Charlottes, the simple plans. Like you kind of guys lived in, in both of those worlds. Yeah. Yeah, You Mm -hmm. you guys could have toured with each one of those. So I think almost paddling your own canoe was probably the way to go because you could live in both worlds, you know? Yeah. It was something because we did play with, heavier bands at times and then we played with lighter bands at times and i I thought it was kind of cool that we could always like change the set to be heavier or poppier or you know it's like we played with motorhead for crying out (laughs) and then like literally in the same hammersmith ballroom we played with all american rejects (laughs) it's like there you go you can't get much more different than those two like rock bands under the umbrella of rock bands (laughs) (laughs) so true and there's only a few bands that can do that. Like 311 could probably do that, and it wouldn't be crazy. You guys. Not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm trying to think. Like, I'm stumped, you know? Yeah, not a lot. NFG can do it in some in- instances with a little bit of that breakdown, that hardcore edge. Yeah, heavier stuff. In spots. But yeah. yeah, typically not a lot of bands. Yep. All right. So, Greg, we've hit on a lot of stuff. We've just scratched the surface. We could probably do this for another hour and a half. but 
Not everybody. I mean, I have to edit it, so we're not going to do that. <laughs> I'm down. You know, I'm down. <laughs> is there anything that you want to get out there? Is this, you know, that, that we didn't cover? Go ahead. The floor is yours. <laughs> I would say if uh, anybody is in a troublesome spot and you don't know if this ship is sinking, just keep your head up, man. You know, you never know what's around the corner. Just because it's 0-2 with two outs in the ninth doesn't mean you lost yet. Like, magic, can, you can still catch lightning in a bottle. You can still make magic happen. Game's not over until it's over. And uh, I really kind of feel like we've, the band as a whole, got it done. Even if, you know, we, we were punching and kicking ourselves <laughs> through, through the process. But yeah, in, in a 19-year rearview window, like, it was worth it. Like I said, my, you know, my, my record that I'd be most proud of and look fondly on, it, it was fun to hear the record again in its entirety today. I was surprised how good it sounded holding up like 20 years later that it didn't sound dated or, or just like the harmonics of the record were off or anything. It's like, nah, it still sounds like a good record right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I agree. I, I've listened to it off and on for the, the 19 years that it's been out just about and it's it's one that I come back to the most of the, the Zebrahead catalog, as much as I like all of your stuff. It's the one that I'm like, man, I'm ready for a Zebrahead record, and I'm going back to that one. So, yeah, yeah agreed. Yeah, there, There's a relatability factor in there. It's like MFZB by Zebrahead and, you know, self-titled by Blink-182. It's no longer talking about high school and stuff like that. It's more like this is a record record. This is like a record I can, like you said, listen to 19 years later and be like, oh, okay, this is relatable then relatable now even if it's not relatable at all it's still just really great composed music not that the first two weren't no but that's funny yeah it's funny you say that because i was actually when i because i was trying to get to all three today but i got i did mfcb and then uh uh, waste uh waste of mine and uh i was thinking that same thing i'm like wow there's just like the lyrical content and what the songs are in in verse or poem or however you want to think of it like what we're talking about it it changed like somewhere in there life happened we didn't have any life experience when we wrote the first record and the Mm -hmm. second record was written in such a rush that uh, you know we had that sophomore jinx i I felt like and the third record it was like oh we're grown up we have things to talk about that aren't high school yeah yeah it's definitely more dialed and it's an album that a band probably couldn't have made as their first record or even their second, you know, it comes with that experience and I'm not going to age you guys, but you guys were, you weren't necessarily young pups anymore. That just implied you're really fucking old right now, Greg, but, uh, yeah. wow. What a dick. What a dick. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> we, we, we're going to tuck him in now too. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you had some experience under your belt and you guys were probably better musicians. Like it all makes sense. I think this is, in my opinion, I'll echo Tony. It's your best release. Oh, here's, here's what I'm, I'll, I'll go out saying. I always said that if we'd have made, if MSDB was our second record instead of Playmate and got the same push, and maybe the single lineup was Hello Tomorrow, Blur, Expectations, or Dear You, or maybe Type A, Hello Tomorrow, like if we'd have, done this record instead of playmate i i wouldn't have a job <laughs> like I, I wouldn't have to work 
it would have been it would have been a much bigger band. Which also in retrospect, I don't know if we could have handled that. We would have fucking killed each other. Somebody would yeah. die. <laughs> more, it would have been a more money, more problems situation. <laughs> With the music video that looks like you're in a cheese grater. <laughs> well, if you don't do Playmate of the Year, Greg, you don't get to go to the the Playboy Mansion. You don't get half in your video, you know? like That's true. You, you did get to do that, so that was cool. <laughs> Who who did he he had to sell it um, after he died right his kids sold it do they do they still have it that's a great question I don't I even wonder know. who owns it now I don't know can you imagine cleaning that pool though I mean that's... oh god <laughs> the grotto the grotto oh, oh boy <laughs> it's chlorine it's fine yeah <laughs> they're shocking that thing every six hours <laughs> <laughs> oh Greg you were there you'd know so yeah. we'll, we'll save that for after the movie. Yeah, we'll do a full episode on the Playmate of the Year video down the line. Uh, there is a spot in that video where Greg is massaging somebody. It's it's go check it out. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and hint, it's not a fellow band. No, yes, yeah, it's, it's not. It's not anybody. It's not Ed. It's not, yeah, it's not Ali. It's not Justin. Yeah. Well, Greg, we obviously love having you uh, on the Potty Slay podcast, and we're happy to have had you back. And till next time, when you're in the Six Timers Club. All right. <laughs> Episode one thirty eight. Yeah, we could do it in a couple weeks. Right? <laughs> Three weeks. No, I thought you wanted a, uh, something that ended in uh, six nine, right? So we'll do one six nine. One sixty nine. Yes, we are earmarking one sixty nine for yeah. Greg to come back. Yeah, you or Elon Musk. I know you guys both like that number. So <laughs> we'll run out of content and we'll start deep diving albums you weren't on. Yeah. <laughs> Greg would be down. <laughs> You know, Dan was thinking on this solo, he was going to do a Phrygian sharp fourth. And... <laughs> oh, boy. Um, okay, yeah. Check out the Bourbon Brothers. Greg, you are part of the Bourbon Brothers. Go check them out. They've got some uh, pretty awesome jazz, rock-infused. Elmo gets to go to shows. He's still there. Yeah, go check them oh, out. Oh, no, I can tell you. I didn't... The uh, El- Elmo... No, no. 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 What happened to Elmo? After some you 20 heard it years, first. You heard yeah, it first. I was packing up for a gig, and uh, the next day we would go to load up, and I'm like, "Where's my backpack?" Uh, I figured oh, one of the other guys no. had it, and uh, they didn't have it, and uh, called back to the venue we played at, and they didn't. They looked all over. We went back to the venue; it wasn't there, and. Uh, it was our. It had our, all our mics in it. It had a bunch of cables in it too. And I was like, honestly, I've just lost like a thousand dollars worth of microphones. I would pay a thousand dollars to get my fucking Elmo back. Whoever yep. fucking took my bag, yeah. <laughs> keep the microphones. <laughs> just give me my Elmo back. Oh man! If you took that <laughs> fucking bag, <laughs> send Greg his email podcast at gmail dot com, and we will get Greg his fucking Elmo back, please. <laughs> So yeah, there's a there's a new uh, talking Elmo on top of my app now. <laughs> yeah. Tickle, tickle, tickle. Well, it doesn't tickle. It's not the tickle one, but it's like you you squeeze him and he's he's like he has like five things that he says. We'll see what we can come up can uh, come up with here. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll blast this out to the to the world to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> fun, oh, fun thing about Bourbon Brothers this weekend. So I get I booked this show like a couple months ago, and I go to put the. Uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm looking for some sort of material. It's, it's a city of Smyrna. It's a city, you know, in the suburbs of, of Atlanta. And it's their hundredth anniversary or 150th anniversary. I, I don't even remember, but I'm, I'm, I'm like looking on the city website for some sort of picture or something of this festival that we're booked at for playing to put on our website to, you know, update our calendar. And I'm looking at, I pull up the website on their, on the city festivities. I'm like, wait, is this the right date? October 8th. Yeah. It says, no, October 8th. It says train and toad the wet sprocket are headlining. I was like, we're playing with toad the wet sprocket and train. Oh, wow. And this didn't come up when they booked us. I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I guess we're on our first like real lineup. I didn't hey, shit, yeah, dude. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah. Got a got a big show and didn't even realize I put it on the calendar. <laughs> so if you're going to see this big show next, you know, this is probably going to re- be released really after. But if you were there, yeah. I hope you threw an Elmo at, at Greg. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. We appreciate it, man. Right, no this was fun, man. Thank Always you. Always fun with you guys. Thanks, man. Peace, potheads. Yeah, yeah. Peace, potheads. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Patio Slave. We are at Patio Slave on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all of the places that you can find us on social media. Facebook, Patio Slave Podcast. YouTube, Patio Slave Podcast there. Email us at patioslavepodcast at gmail.com. And hey, if you want to become a supporter, click on the link at the bottom of the episode and give us a dollar, give us five bucks. It keeps the lights on, keeps us going. We really appreciate that stuff. Thank you. Go to commercial. <laughs> tell her, tell her she's making the end of the podcast with that right there. <laughs> All right, sweetheart, you're right. Spirit, spirit day, sports teams, October fourth. Ah, yeah! Don't wake your brother up by screaming. <laughs> wear that uh, Braves jersey. Tommy Glavin. This is to wear the Braves jersey. I, I I refuse to get a Glavin jersey. I said, if you're going to get a jersey, it's got to be like somebody I respect, like Hank Aaron or something. I was right.